first time you sat down and you had a map of where you thought you know the brand i was working for at the time should be in your market you know like i it kind of unfolded it or i don't know if it was an ipad i can't remember but you were you were so prepared that i remember thinking gosh when we get from an expansion standpoint to that market half the work is already done Welcome to the CRE Project Podcast, where investors, developers, brokers, and real estate entrepreneurs join together to grow, build, and execute on experience and strategies within the commercial real estate industry. We sit down with the top pros and leaders within the commercial real estate field and gain knowledge and insight from their success. We're glad you're here and look forward to connecting with you. You can find the CRE Project on all major podcast platforms, along with YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Hey everyone, welcome to today's show. We welcome Lisa Walker, a senior real estate manager with McDonald's and actually a real estate lead for real estate managers uh, for McDonald's for the entire Southwest region. And also Cheryl Fry, a senior real estate manager with El Pollo Loco. Welcome both of them onto the show with us today to talk about corporate site selection and deal making when it comes to quick service restaurants in the corporate environment. Um, Definitely an insightful show. We talk about the do's and don'ts of presenting sites, what retailers are looking for in a site, and what really makes a successful site for a QSR in today's world. So we found this show uh, insightful and valuable. We hope you do too. Sit back, relax. Here we go. Lisa, Cheryl, thanks so much for joining us today on the CRE Project podcast. Uh, We're really excited to have you guys on, uh, two very seasoned professionals uh, that I've had the pleasure to work with uh, historically. So, and uh, I know Gannon is new to you all, but he is an exceptional co-host and we've been talking about this show for a long time. We're excited just because uh, a lot of our shows are more developer driven. Uh, and not so user driven. So we've really been trying hard to get some real estate managers on and what better ladies to have on than you two. So thank you for being here. We appreciate it. Thank you for inviting us. Yeah, yeah, no, thanks. So uh, to start off, uh, would really like to hear from both of you uh, on how you got into the real estate game, who you've worked for historically, and how you ended up kind of, you know, being a real estate manager for some of the largest corporations really in the world. So Cheryl, why don't you start us off? So I'll start. So I I didn't pursue a career in real estate, but um, when I finished college, I ended up in I was called it Orange County, California. And I was, you know, back in the day, this is going to date me. I was looking at the classified ads in the paper and I found a job for, and I think it was a property manager for Carl Karcher Enterprises. And I thought, 
well, that would be kind of cool. Carl's Jr. I mean, we all, you know, yeah. Carl started in Anaheim. And so um, I took my business degree and, you know, because they wanted you to have an accounting background. And I, well, there we go. And um, I applied for a property manager for Carl Karcher Enterprises, which was under their real estate division. Mm-hmm. And um, that was, you know, that was in, I'm really going to date myself. That was in 1984. And um, the nice thing about working for a large company, which I'm sure um, Lisa will be able to speak to, um, you can move around within the company in all variety of roles. You can be in accounting, you can be in franchise, you can be in real estate, you can be in asset management. So I got to learn all the aspects of a deal which yeah. I really felt make, made me a, a really good real estate director, real estate manager. Um, you know, if you know the worst case scenarios that can come from a site that fails, meaning you're disposing of it, mm-hmm. then you know what to look for as you're going forward to new sites. So yeah. I think getting all of that experience in property management, asset management, disposition and acquisition, it just kind of made me a perfect candidate for the role. And um, I will say my favorite role is the acquisition side. I think that's where all the fun happens. Yeah, so much fun. So you so you started at Carl's and then what, who, who have you I, kind of worked for too? So I, okay, so I started at Carl's and I um, rode a long wave, uh, 19 years. And one of the girls I'd worked with at Carl's was at Wendy's. And she was saying, oh, this is just like Carl's was in the early days come on over, join. So she convinced me at, and, on, and I was at a kind of a critical point in my life where I said, if I don't make a change, I'll probably never make a change. So now would be the perfect time. So I joined Wendy's and Wendy's is where I met Lisa. Lisa was my boss at Wendy's. Oh, there we yeah. Go. <laughs> and, um, and, and Wendy's, was a great, also very much like Carl Carter Enterprise, Carl's Jr., very big company, all the departments to assist you in your growth, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a great, another great company to work for. But then they were in the midst of a merger and acquisition with like it was the Wendy's Arby's group. And it came to the year end and it was time for us to do our performance review. So I pulled out my site ride folder and I opened it up and there was nothing in it. So I called Kathy and said, my, my counterpart said, hey, how many sight rides do you show that we did last year? She goes, oh, let me check and see. She opens up her folder and says, none. I go, how long are they going to keep us to not work? Um, and it was really funny because they were telling us, don't leave, don't leave. It's all going to settle down. But, you know, when you're a deal junkie and you want to make a deal, yeah. sitting on the sidelines and not doing anything is is a little, it's disheartening and it's scary and it's, you get anxious. So at the time, the person that hired me at Carl's in 1984 was senior VP of development at El Pollo Loco. And he kept saying, come over here. We're doing deals. We're, we've got so much going on. And so I actually just said, Hey, I want to make the deals." So I, I took the position and that's been, um, 14 years ago, almost. Yeah, 14 years, more than 14. So I'm almost doubling my Carl Karcher tenure. Yeah. 
Awesome. So that's so it. So definitely well seasoned. So very well. We found yeah. out that Lisa's your boss. So <laughs> twice. Twice. Because yeah. 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 You joined El Pollo Loco as my boss. Yeah. What about you, Lisa? How'd you get in the business? Yeah, I have actually a very similar situation. I was um I was um living in Denton. And I, um, I think it was a referral. I think someone I knew was at Sally Beauty, which is a very small tenant retailer. Um, and they were hiring for somebody to run their property management, which I knew nothing about. But they trained me and I handled their renewals, which was a big piece of what we were doing. It was, you know, it was what, early 90s. So we were coming you know, through a recession and we were renegotiating yeah. all of our existing leases. And I was very successful at reducing the rental, keeping it the same there. So they elevated me into a deal-making spot, which I didn't do for, um, I, I was ended up there three years in, in several different positions. Um, but then I left and worked for another retailer. Um, and then I got hired by Wendy's. Um, and I was at Wendy's for 12 years, deal-making for, I don't know, five or six. And then in a couple different management roles, um, I had the deal-making team, you know, as fun as deal making is, it's even funner when you have a great team because they make you look good every day. And Cheryl was a big part of that. Kathy, who she mentioned, we had the dream team. It was really, uh, it was really great. They, we had Southern California, and then slowly as things changed, I had more geography, and I ended up, you know, through the Wendy's Arby's merge, uh, helping out at corporate actually. Um, and then I went to a couple of different places. I went to a sandwich chain called Witch Witch, which is here in Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, I was tired of working for a company that wasn't headquartered where I live because that got that got complicated. Then I went to work for Corner Bakery, which is also headquartered here in Dallas. Um, and then I got a phone call about El Pollo Loco. Come, you know, what was the, we're getting the band back together. Doing <laughs> deals over at the Crazy Chicken. <laughs> So come come over and do deals here, and you know you can be a. I was a player coach, so I did deals, you know, in uh, in Texas and, and New Mexico, tried to, yeah. and then I oversaw the real estate team, which was really Cheryl and and some great other people in the office. So, um, and I was there for I don't know three and a half years, um, and then since then I've been at McDonald's, the biggest real estate chain, you know, real estate brand in the world that happens to sell burgers. So I've been here a little over two and a half years. Uh, just having a ball. It's, you know, there's nothing McDonald's hasn't seen before. No, oh, yeah. Um, there's no unique situations really. Um, and just a depth of people to um, to counsel with when you've got, um, you know, something that you need help with. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, uh, I mean, both of you guys, again, just very well accomplished. And uh, it's interesting, just the different uh companies that you worked for kind of from really the start fruition with the Carl's days and then obviously a big huge growth pattern with Wendy's it sounded like and now obviously two established brands like El Pollo Loco and McDonald's. And it's also interesting because a lot of people go from brokerage into that role but it doesn't sound like either of you ever did it's more property transactional brokerage yeah Yeah. kind of interesting so what um so let's talk a little bit about the the role in general and the play and the role that it plays kind of in a daily uh commercial real estate space so for those listeners that aren't necessarily familiar with retail real estate and corporate site selection what exactly are you guys responsible for 
right now within McDonald's and El Pollo Loco? Um, yeah, I'll go first. Um, I did deals at McDonald's for, I don't know, two and a quarter years. And I've just, I've recently been elevated and now I've got part of the country. So I oversee uh, a strong group of deal makers that are in the Southwest. Um, and that's really primarily I have been in deal making and overseeing deal making um, for the last really 28 years or so. And I've, um, so my role has remained the same even as the title has changed. I work with brokers and so I always look for the best brokers, which is why I ended up with you, Clay, and Albuquerque um, <laughs> and when I was looking at the market. And actually, Lisa actually found you first, so I should give her the kudos and credit. But, um, and, you know, we rely, I rely very heavily on brokers because I handle a huge geography. Mm -hmm. And right now, as it sits, I'm the one and only real estate acquisition person at El Puyo Loco. Yeah. Um, so I'm covering the company. You know, what we do on my end is I find all the company locations. And again, I use a field of brokers and our company markets are Southern California, Las Vegas, Nevada. Really, I think that's kind of that's kind of the two company markets. That's where our primary attention is. Almost everything else is franchise. So there's a lot of growth coming from franchises in Salt Lake City and in Texas, Dallas, Texas, and in um, Louisiana, Lafayette, Baton Rouge. In fact, our Baton Rouge store is opening. Ah, it might be opening as we speak right now. It got a couple delays, but um, I think it's opening right now today. Um, so it's Jason's second store, Lisa. So that's exciting. Um, and so I do. I support the franchisees. And, and now we've signed a couple of new franchisees. They are, they're existing in the system, but we signed a couple of new guys in the Denver market. Um, so, you know, I've been to Denver a couple of times since the, you know, those just those uh, franchise agreements were being development agreements were being negotiated and looking at some of the real estate. Yeah. And yeah. so I start from the beginning. So when on company stores, I negotiate the LOI, I, you know, get it to the finished stage. And then I kind of pass the baton to my construction counterpart who does the site investigation determines how long, how much everything's going to take. And then we put that together and present it to the, executive board, the real estate site approval committee, which we call RESAC. And once it gets approved, we launch into entitling. And typically while we're in the prepping it for RESAC, we're negotiating leases as well. So, and we don't do much in the, yeah, you know, we don't do much in the way of purchase um, just because nobody's really selling. We find that it's very hard to find, you know, I know McDonald's finds them, but we just don't find much in the way of sales. It's tough right now. I mean, it's very tough. And I know it's market by market, but especially in our local market, New Mexico, it's very tight and it's very, very difficult to acquire dirt right now. So everything seems to be for ground lease or build a suit. So, and the reason I asked that question is because a lot of times people don't understand just how much you guys really do on the corporate site selection side. And it's a whole other thing when it comes to actually managing franchisees as well. That's like a whole other arm and it really, really keeps you guys busy. So it's not necessarily just flying out, doing site tours, but it's also the full negotiation process. And oftentimes 
working all the way through the approval periods and everything else when it comes to leases. So it's pretty involved. What? Let me ask you, Lisa, what do you like most about being a real estate manager? Well, you know, it, it is, it's the deal junkie thing. It's an adrenaline rush. Yeah. We're definitely the sought after party. You know, we get a little bit wined and dined. At the the dance, man. We all <laughs> so much fun. I mean, we get invited to the fun parties and, you know, they, everybody wants time with us because, you know, we, we're the ones that, um, you know, pay the rent and uh, and do the deal so that that piece of it's always been really fun um i love that my favorite thing i will uh, i will say is um you know two years later or however long it takes to get these transactions built and open and selling burgers or chicken um my favorite thing is to drive by and see the city officials and the tax revenue that we create and it's just the very very beginning of a 60 or 80 year um, business being open yeah. in these towns and at these intersections and it, to be on the very, very front end of that, looking at raw dirt or a old, old building that we're going to take down and build a beautiful building with arches. I mean, that's, it still gives me a thrill to see that on, on every single site. Yeah. It's interesting. You say that, cause I've said that time and time again, that's what I love about what we do is it's a little daunting to think about, but the decisions that we make and the decisions that we have influence in really affects the community for decades because they're seeing this building and this product and they're driving by it on a daily basis. So there is a real sense of responsibility in, in what we do. And there's a sense of fulfillment too. Cause like to your point, if you go into a market and you bring a service that's new to that market, it's exciting. And you, you were a part of that. If you, are going into a market where there's a lot of rundown real estate and you demo some stuff and you build a brand new building, you know, that's exciting. So it's really a fun, a fun part of what we do. What, what do you think, Cheryl? What do you enjoy the most? I think I do. I think what I enjoy the most is seeing a site in its infancy stages, even where people, you know, Lisa will remember we, we were on some site rides where they're like, I just don't get it. I don't see it. And I go, no, no, you, you'll, you got to trust me on this. I mean, and we align this, you know, Apoya Local likes to be around daily needs centers. I mean, the best are Walmart's targets, you know, grocery, any, anything that's triggering a trip inside and by the restaurant is going to usually equal somebody stopping to take the food, you know, home. So to look at it in, a, in an infancy stage, to see it all come together, open up and be this kind of entire, you know, development project, it's very exciting. And to, to go, I have the vision to know that this was going to be, you know, this is going to work. It, you know, because sometimes you get out there and it's, there's nobody, there's no homes, you've got to show housing maps. So yeah. it is, it's seeing it from the infancy stage to the opening and the sense of accomplishment when you get to that stage, kind of being there when they ribbon cut and meeting the mayor and the fire department and the police and the schools, because we do invest in school programs and all those kind of things. So it is, it's just nice to be, you know, a, a, somebody that's giving back to the community that you're opening in. Yeah. And to your point, sometimes you got to be like two to three years kind of ahead of time, right? Before way ahead of time. So there's definitely a, a sales component 
uh, to what we do. There is no doubt in that. What is on the flip side, what's the most difficult thing that you guys run up against? Well, you know, deals have just gotten so very complicated. I think everybody on this call knows that, you know, they're the complexity is extreme. Um, you know, McDonald's, um, thankfully is, you know, not adverse to paying a land use attorney if it's necessary. You know, I mean, I've got a couple of instances um, where we're a permitted use, um, but city council still has, or neighborhood opposition has got city council's ear and we still can't get, uh, we can't get our, we, we can't get through the process. So um, McDonald's is not afraid to, to bring in the right people to help us, um, you know, go through the process and, and get what we can done. Um, so, but it, it's all gotten very complicated at Wendy's. When I was, you know, I was doing deals in Texas, which is still friendlier than most. And you could buy an acre and it was a fairly, you could build a prototype. And it was a very simple process and, and really, really inexpensive comparatively. It's always been much more complicated when you move to either coast, really, um, it just gets more complicated as you push out. And so, you know, you get into the San Francisco Bay and, and LA and you get so much opposition. There's so little land and there's so much opposition to what we're trying to build. It's yeah. just very complicated. There's also, uh, I, I kind of agree with all of that. I, I would say that for the most part, we target uh, pads and centers so the use is already in place mm -hmm. because like lisa said you know we're home based in costa mesa california so we've lived the dream <laughs> of entitling properties that you know th there is some resistance the other component that we're facing probably today that everyone's facing today are what i would call the covid residuals so we've got nobody's back in an office. Our offices are not yet opened. Mm -hmm. um, they're scheduled now to open sometime in January. Um, so, and planners and city offices, they're doing everything electronically. So everything's taking longer. Um, then when you combine, so you're, so whatever timeframes you negotiated at the front end really went out the door starting in March of 2020. And it hasn't really corrected. So now we have, I mean, it's not, you know, a newsflash for anybody. If you live on the coast, I'm in Dana Point. I mean, I can see cargo ships hanging out there. There's tons of cargo ships. So now we're in a supply chain issue. We've got not only as it relates to um, equipment, but even product. I mean, so we're at a perfect storm. You know, we hard to get employees. You got to pay them a lot of money. You can't build restaurants for cheap. I mean, you know, uh, so everything's yeah. going sky yeah. high, but so, we're still committed and we're still doing deals. And most landlords and developers know, are aware and they'll work with you. So yeah. that's the good news. And I would go back, kind of regress a little bit. When we start these relationships with these people, there's a built trust and then they, when you come back to them and say, hey, here's what's happening, they trust you. So they're more willing to work with you in a scenario that, you know, unanticipated delays. Yeah. What uh, I'm curious, because both of you guys kind of mentioned this, but specifically you, Lisa, is, is just how complex deals have kind of gotten 
at this point. And I'd really like, again, because a lot of our audience, it's a commercial real estate audience, but a lot of them don't do corporate site selection. So how throughout your decades of your career has deals gotten more complex specifically? Gosh, um, yeah, it, it used to be so easy at the time. We, we didn't think it was that easy, but of course it was. Um, you know, I mentioned the neighborhood opposition. That's been a, a, a big trend. Um, you know, I mean, I'm in the burger segment, so there's lots of burgers in just about every every That's intersection that has retail, the, the Walmarts, the Targets, the, the daily need stuff. Where we want to be, there's already a burger. So, you know, we try to pioneer it and get out there first um, and, and restrict uh, what we can. Um, but that's gotten much more complicated because there's so many people that have come into the fray. You know, and I'll say just to make it quite current, there are some users specifically out west, uh, like Raising Canes and Chick-fil-A, and In-N-Out has always been out there uh, just kind of writing blank checks in terms of what they'll pay in rent. So some of the rent, you know, I mean, we're, we're enjoying, you know, great, great sales, really, um, at the brand. I think COVID's been very good to the QSR uh, industry. And, you know, some of these rents that the other folks that I mentioned are paying are just well above market and just the complexity that that brings um, to the rest of us. Uh, we, we, we can't uh, compete in that arena. Yeah. What about you, Cheryl? What do you think? Same thing. The, you know, what, what I can bring to the table um, is I can do something fairly small. So I don't need, I mean, the, the big three that Lisa mentioned, and then we can throw Starbucks into the mix because they're very aggressive right now with what they'll pay, especially for converting an existing um, QSR. They just want the drive-through. Um, so they're very, very aggressive. Um, but once they, if, if I found that if a developer doesn't get a Chick-fil-A, a Raising Cane's or an In-N-Out, typically they'll come down to the next tier, which is what I sit within. And then I'm even probably half the footprint of a McDonald's from a spacing and size. So maybe they've got um, an acre and a half. So McDonald's might need, you know, call it 35,000. And I can probably, you know, if, if we have driveways that are shared, we can probably do two uses on an acre and a half where in and out is probably needing two acres now to do anything because cities are really onto them. So even though they're paying these premiums and they do have sales to support it, they need a lot of land because the cities know that they, I mean, I heard the last in and out deal was approved. They needed a 38 car stack. I mean, think what that does to your parking, your center, your, and if you're trying to put it in with someone else. So there's a lot of people that are saying, I don't want a Chick-fil-A or an in and out to mess up the parking and the circulation of, of my center. Yeah. I've, I've got a question for you, ladies, shifting gears a little bit. Um, as an outside broker or a mid-level or junior broker looking in, trying to elevate their career, make an impact, maybe somebody that hasn't been to ICSC or is trying to figure out how to be relevant, what can those brokers or developers do to bring value to you guys? Is there anything that that really could help somebody differentiate themselves to uh 
to get on top of the hundreds of emails and phone calls that you receive to, to say, hey, this guy's got the right idea or gal. Uh, right. Um, you know, we, we do get a lot of submittals, just just cold, uh, cold submittals via email. Um, and honestly, none of us have enough time to, to sort all those and go through them. Um, a lot of times, if you do sit down and look at them, you know, late in the day or, you know, kind of as part of your end of the week task, there's a McDonald's right across the street. So it's like, you know, somebody didn't even do any research to determine that I'm already in that marketplace. Um, so that kind of drives me crazy. It's like, I'm probably not going to respond to the other emails you're going to send me. Um, you know, I think it's important to understand, you know, a lot of times I know El Pollo Loco, McDonald's doesn't have preferred brokers per market, but there's usually a very strong broker that's working the market for us. So I think, you know, if you've got a great site that you're representing, to get it in front of the people that can get it in front of the deal maker, you're yeah. way ahead. Um, and it isn't just coming cold uh, to someone who doesn't know your name. Um, right. So I, I would certainly recommend that you um, find out who the stakeholders are and sort of predetermine what the level of interest should be, you know, from a spacing standpoint, particularly for a brand like McDonald's with 14,000 existing domestic locations, you know, you certainly need to, figure out on your own, is this a perceived gap in customer base or, sure. or do I need to put in my email, hey, this is across the street from you, but I've noticed you haven't remodeled. It still has the, you know, older Mansard roof, for example. You see that, you know, there's either a situation with the lease um, because we're 95% modernized at the McDonald's brand. So unit that isn't remodeled, you know, yeah. we probably are. We probably are looking to relocate. As, or there's as something Steve else going on. would say, the highest energy task is the critical thinking. So, yeah. trying to help process through all of the data and and point out the high level benefits. You know, it sounds like just helping you work through that anal analysis a little bit further. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I concur with um, a lot of what Lisa said. I will. I will tell you though that given the tenure that I have, I used to get kind of, you know, well, I'm right across the street. Why would they send me this? But now I kind of in support of what Lisa said as well, if they made the effort to know that I'm right across the street and put it in their email and then told me what it is, you know, I think if they say, Hey, this has really good, you know, demographics, there's a brand new Walmart planned here. Um, this is a patent. You know, if they give me more information than just submitting a site without giving me why they think it would be a good fit. Um, so I think that kind of rises, you know, them to the top of my list when they take the effort, um, especially if they do tell me, I know you're just, you're a block away, but it looks like an old tired restaurant that has limited parking. And this might provide you some upside because it's a brand new, you know, pad with more parking, better circulation. You know, maybe there's the median that's been built that's affecting access to the older restaurant. So yeah, anytime they take, they personalize it, where I know that they've actually looked at my restaurants where they are and feel that this is a hole for me and why it's a hole and why I should consider it. Um, those are all that really resonates with me. Yeah. Absolutely. So what is what is an ideal site submission look like? 
for both of you. Because we get this all the time. Is yeah. Do you guys like three mile rings, or is that too much noise? You well, know, <laughs> not, not only that, just the the amount. Of, so you want them to go into detail, but you don't want to necessarily write a novel, a novel. right? Because yeah. you guys are getting hundreds of emails. So for those individuals out there that could be listening to this, that have a site that they may want to put in front of, you know, y'all or any other real estate manager of a large corporation, what what kind of what kind of makes an ideal site submission? I like to see the site plan, um, obviously with the streets and traffic counts if possible. I only look, really I'm only looking at one and two mile demographics um, because beyond that, you know, if we're fully built out, we're gonna have another restaurant, you know, probably every one and a half to two miles, um, depending on the density. Um, again, I also, um, I I like to be part of, you know, a center. I don't really like to be on my own and I definitely would love to have what they're asking and what the delivery time and condition is. Those, those two last ones, those are probably the most missed, I would say. I know. So Mm -hmm. only because, you know, I mean, because they could say, oh, we're asking 60,000 a year but they're not going to bring any utility, you know, and, you know, depending on where, what, you know, where you are logistically. So Southern California, you know, the sewer and water costs are extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, so that's what I would say. I would say, you know, one, two mile snapshot. And I just would like to see residential and employee population. I'd like to see the age, the income, um, I don't know. I, I just, I, I look for, you know, as much information so I can kind of, and of course we both probably have, I'm sure Lisa does too. We have our own internal mapping that we can plot it, but it's nice that if you've got it, you know, you don't have to, you know, plot everything. So. Yeah. yeah. And I have another question for you guys. Are you interfacing with developers in your particular role? Or are you working more with brokers, franchise operators? Or are there developers calling you guys saying, hey, listen, we've got the capacity to build for you guys, want to get on your radar? Is that anything that would bring value to you? Are you guys having those conversations? McDonald's really has their own in-house construction team and development team. So no um, is the the easy answer to that here. Um, I think every once in a while, if they're taking down land that's five acres and we only need one, there, there could be a preferred developer brought in. It's pretty rare. Um, anymore, but we've certainly done that on a case-by-case basis. Yeah, and to your point earlier, Lisa, people don't understand that, unless they've seen the movie with Michael Keaton from a year or two ago, that McDonald's really is a real estate company that ancillary sells burgers. Right, right. And it's interesting because when she was talking about the complexity of the franchise piece, we don't, we have, of course, owner-operators. We're you know, 92% I think run by owner operators, which is what we call our franchisees. But um, the transaction, the real estate transaction is no different. So if you're leasing something, and even if it eventually does get operated by an owner operator, more than likely will, um, the transaction is still with corporate. Uh, The ground lease is signed by McDonald's corporate. It's a very, one of the the strongest, I think, ground lease signature in the industry, um, or it's being purchased by corporate. Um, So, and then so you'll that is a, a nuance to a McDonald's deal that is really, really 
um, set us apart. Yeah, gotcha. How um, I'm curious because uh, again, you guys kind of talked about internal mapping. What we're seeing, uh, really, like in real time in our space right now, is just kind of the evolution of technology when it comes to site selection. And I'm curious um, when it comes to submittals, are you guys finding value in uh, technology like Placer AI, where it's more cell phone visit? data um and there's a i mean there's a plethora of other ones buxton etc do you guys um look at i mean you obviously look at that data do you ever rely on that data do you always look to your internal data and that's really it um what's kind of your thoughts as far as technology has evolved and is it in alignment typically with the site when it's submitted to you so yeah, go ahead, Cheryl. So on. So we do um, we do rely on internal and and Clay. I just renewed my restaurant trends contract. You'll be happy to know. So maybe I'll give you you know I'll share some secrets with you. But um, we so and restaurant trends is a company that actually um, through various sources, whether it's sales tax reporting or personal visits or. Uh, fees paid to various agencies guesstimates the sales of competitors that are in their program. So um, in and out is not, doesn't, doesn't play in that arena and nor does um, I don't think Panda does either, but there's quite a few of chicken Mexican burgers that do. And that, that data is in our mapping program. So when we plot a site and we run the one, two, it's a one, two, three mile ring, but we look at the two mile ring mostly. We look and see how the competitors are performing in that two mile ring, which then says, gosh, if they're all performing at or above average, we should too. So this will probably be a good location for us combined with the demographics and, and things of that sort. Um, so, um, but with Placer AI, that we, I haven't gotten to that, but I think our marketing and maybe higher ups are, have looked at that because I know that became a big thing with COVID because everybody, the way people traded changed during COVID. And with El Pollo Loco, we are just a lunch dinner and we were about a 50-50 split. When COVID hit, we became uh, um, that the lunch day part kind of dissipated but the dinner day part increased because people were needing to eat and yeah. didn't want to eat at home every night. And we have a really good take home meal replacement. It's, you know, a chicken meal, you know, flame grilled chicken with all the sides, which is yeah. a healthier approach to what else is out there. So that, you know, so I know that Placer AI played a role. We also got, as everyone got very good with their apps, their digital apps where you can order online and drive yeah. up and they'll bring it out to you. So you don't even have to, you know, go through a drive through or do any of that. And so, you know, Chipotle was way ahead of the game and did that Chipotle now. So it's not a true drive through. There's no menu board, but you order it on the app and you drive up to their window and you say, my number's, you know, 25, whatever. And then they hand out your order. 
So yeah, it's, everybody's it's gone to apps. Yeah, it's I interesting think. how, you know, Lisa mentioned this earlier, but how crowded and more competitive the environment almost got overnight because of that. And now everyone, like we we have, I believe it's the first Denny's in the entire nation that just opened up here, what, like last week, two weeks ago with a drive-thru. Um, it's like, you're just, you're seeing all these different users now going to drive-thru. And if it's as convenient, right, as a QSR, it just makes site selection and obviously securing sites that much more competitive in the real estate space. So it's interesting. Is that a new, is that a new Denny's? It was actually, it was an IHOP that closed and mm-hmm. got repurposed into a Denny's. So and is that, is that Roland? Is that the guy that bought all the Denny's from the guy there? No, no. different. Yeah. Different franchisee. Interesting. So but it's, yeah, it's, it's in a really growing part of the market and I don't know how it's doing. It's still too young to tell, but you know, like you said, with Chipotle. I mean, we have a Chipotle here now that has the drive through lane. And I mean, mm-hmm. the app, I used it admittedly last night. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's literally as simple as two clicks and your whole meal's ordered and you go by there and pick it up and you're on your way, you know? So it's really No, I mean, it's super easy. And I, I do, I use everyone's app just to, you know, number one, always, you know, McDonald's app, if you ever use that, there's always something mm-hmm. free. Always. Yeah. And then my second favorite four letter word after food is free. <laughs> <laughs> what, what about you, Lisa? I mean, are you guys, when you get site submittals with placer data, are you guys, you, do you, do you look into that? I mean, is it relevant? Um, and the reason I'm asking is because it's expensive software, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. So from the brokerage side of it, um, we find it of, of value. Um, but I'm really curious from the retailer perspective, if you guys find it of value. Yeah. Well, McDonald's, I think because we have 14,000 existing domestic locations, we have our own sales set. We have our own, like we know where we do well and where we don't. And we group the surrounding stores into smaller groups for analysis. And there's, we have our own in-house mapping system that is state-of-the-art there's a team of people that all they do is keep enhancing that system and um, they use all kinds of data it's it's really remarkable um things like restaurant trends and um, that i've always used everywhere i've worked we we don't we don't incorporate that in we don't look at how competitors do um because we have so many units ourselves um so we, we're, we're way more likely to gauge it based on our own performance in a given uh area of a zip code as opposed to relying on uh, how competitors do Uh, but the mass mobile data which is what we call that the cell phone location services data that tells you you know where someone was at night where someone was during the day and where they went just before they came to the restaurant you know we we do use that Uh, um, we order reports like that as needed for um, various things that we're doing in real estate so um, it's very interesting. The technology keeps changing. It is very expensive, um, but it's um, it's a critical aspect to uh, to reaching the right customer. Uh, you, you have to change with it. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. And the reason I ask the question is because oftentimes, and I've seen this, and it's worked both ways, where you're working with a corporation, and it, you know, we always argue what the technology says isn't always correct. You know, and a lot of it has to do with what we talked about earlier, where it could be there's a lot happening underneath the surface that technology can't pick up right now. There's massive housing development getting entitled. There's a massive you know, power center development that could be going up. So it's interesting when you're, you know, when you're doing site selection for corporations and you're analyzing it and you're trying to get it, you know, through committee and everything else, how difficult it is sometimes that you do rely on technology to a certain extent, but sometimes it could work against you. And I think at the end of the day, like you guys were saying earlier, I mean, still getting on the ground, seeing the site, seeing the dynamics, seeing the traffic flow, seeing the type of consumers, seeing the demographic of the consumers all play a role into what makes a successful site. But sometimes you are fighting technology these days, you know, I mean, you can't I'm, I, like you, you've been in the business for decades. I mean, back in the day, you guys were very reliant on what was being told. maps with dots. Yeah. 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 Just, just Driving with a tape recorder and then yeah. mapping it out afterwards. So it's it's evolved and changed a lot. Even when Clayton and I started, he'd drive around in his truck with his phone and take a video as he was driving down the road and send it on a Dropbox link. I said, wow, that's how yeah. you do a virtual tour. There he was doing go, it before yeah. we needed virtual there tours. You go. So, it's so that's very interesting. Yeah, it's changed a I've lot. I always thought you were cutting edge, Clayton. I, I I try, but it really is. It's moving quick. So, and as we are wrapping up, I know we I, we we could ask so many more questions, but I want to be sensitive to our time here. Um, what would make a twenty twenty two a good year for each of you? What are your goals? What are what would you say? All right, I accomplished. That's a that's a strong year coming out of the pandemic and moving into a new world here. Um, are you guys optimistic and what are you looking forward to and what's going to make a strong 2022 for, for each of you? Yeah, McDonald's is very focused on growth right now. Um, I, you know, I'm not really at liberty to disclose big numbers, but we are beefing up our team. There's high, now hiring really across the ICSE website and, and LinkedIn and places like that. Uh, we are beefing up the team. We do have a lot of growth left to do. Um, we're, we're, we're really enjoying um, sales success right now, so it's a really great time to do it. Uh, deals are taking longer. So, you know, for me, I think for 22, for the brand, we want um, to get some of our uh, new deals open, and we want to fill our hopper with a lot of great quality sites. Excellent. And similar, I mean, I see uh 2022 is a, a year of growth we've kind of been stalled by covid and all of the you know issues i shared with earlier hoping that those things kind of correct as we go into 2022 on a personal note though if i did win the you know mega millions jackpot I would give up the dream and let someone else <laughs> have all the fun I'm having. We can keep trying, Cheryl. We can keep trying. So I, I have I have kind of a, a question that I'd like to ask both of you because it's something that I, you know, Gannon and I are both up against quite often. 
Um, and I know there's a lot of people that wonder this, but if you've ever been to an ICSC or any other convention, right, there's thousands of other brokers and a black and blue suit and a tie. And what, in your opinion, makes a really good broker? What, what, what do you look for? What qualities when it comes to representation? Because I say that kind of kidding, but not really. I mean, it's extremely competitive and especially for, for really quality, good accounts and to work with, you know, obviously high quality folks like y'all, what do you guys look for? What are the key traits that you're looking for when it comes to, you know, securing a, a quality representation in a market? Yeah, I, I would just say uh, be proactive and be prepared. Um, you know, schedule a, schedule a 30 minute meeting with the person that you want to uh, meet with. I mean, I, I don't think I've ever turned anyone down unless they were in, you know, Portland and I had no, you know, no authority in, in that particular market. I mean, some young person wants to schedule 30 minutes, you know, get on my calendar and, and come to my booth and I'll give you 30 minutes, even if the answer is, hey, I can't help you right now. Um, I think so. Be proactive and then, um, you know, be prepared. I mean, when I remember when I met you, Clay, the first time you sat down and you had a map of where you thought, you know, the brand I was working for at the time should be in your market. You know, like I you kind of unfolded it or I don't know if it was an iPad. I can't remember, but you were you were so prepared that I remember thinking, gosh, when we get from an expansion standpoint to that market, half the work is already done. You've impressed me with, um, you know, all the all the pre-work that you put in to the meeting. Um, and then, of course, it's always good to follow up afterwards, yeah. um, not in a badgering sort of way where you phone call, but where you just sort of maybe follow up, attach the map again and say, hey, hold on to this, if you will, when you yeah. when you get a chance to uh, do something in this marketplace. Yeah. I think that's so, memorable. So just, so just plan and be well prepared. And what I always tell people is your goal is to always try to just add value to that individual. So what about you, Cheryl? Because very similar. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would say, though, um, I'm a big proponent of um, when I come into a market, I want a broker in the market. I know lots of brands have kind of gone through these. Oh, we want a national broker. And then you're stuck with whoever that is. I want the best broker in the market and somebody who knows the market which, you know, like I'm, I can just speak for you in Albuquerque. I mean, I, I felt like I never any question I ever had, you would answer it. Um, I don't think you ever said I don't know on anything I asked. Um, and, you know, no. And even though we bring all these tools that they give us, our job as foot soldiers are to validate where they say we should be and they may say we should be at a certain place and we're like well i'm not really sure why they say that because it's shifting north south east west or there's a big project being planned and that's why having a, a broker that knows his market you know and makes me look good i mean i yeah. want the broker to be driving you know when the executives come into town and talk about you know who's active who's not active so really just someone who's in touch with what's happening in their market and that's why I think it's critical to have just someone working, living, breathing in the market be be my my resource. What what do you feel most brokers do wrong when representing companies? Mm. I don't know that I think that they do anything wrong. I think 
the the one thing is I do think some brokers, even though they know that you're being represented by someone, they tr- constantly try and go around or, yeah. or submit directly to you. I'm, I know McDonald's doesn't have the same, you know, we have, you know, preferred brokers that we use and, and I make it known because I'm one person and I can only go so far. So um, it's nice because if they submit something, I just forward it to my broker and copy them and copy and to say, you know, hey, I've forwarded this to my broker and we'll get back to you with any interest. And then he can then call or she can call and get, you know, all those things I said, what's the delivery time? What's the mail? How's it going to be delivered? You know, what do you need to make the deal? Because I don't want to spend time working on a deal when you need five other pads to make before it's anything's going to happen. So that kind of stuff. I think what I've seen just from a representation standpoint is, you know, I find it, and I can imagine being you guys, but when brokers don't listen to what you're saying as to why a site wouldn't work and they're just so determined on, no, this is, this is the right site for you. Um, and that's happened to me several times when I just say it's not, it's not on our development plan. Um, and they'll just go on and just continue to try to beat me down as to why I'm wrong and they're right. And I just, I can imagine being you guys, cause you have to, you have to hear that quite often. So. Yeah. It gets really old. I, I've had a couple of economic developers that, you know, just, I guess I'm on their tickler every six months, they call you up and it's like, you know, I've run your demographics. I mean, unless you've got a giant, you know, employer and, and residential following that under construction, you don't meet our minimum criteria. You know, you, you respectfully tell them that, but every ICSE there in line to talk to you again, every whatever, uh, that that does get a little bit old. Um, the only thing I'd say on brokers is some of them do try to spread themselves too thin. Oh, I can help you in that market too, or I can help you there too. And I understand. I think you wait and say that when you've got a great relationship with, you know, with your uh, REM and, um, you know, but to market yourself as I can do all of this, you know, tends to make me believe, well, I don't know that you could do any of it because it sounds like you're trying to take on too much and you're not an expert in the market where you live, which is really what you need. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Completely, completely agree. It's easy to do when you're a broker. You yeah, want, you want to take it all. We like there. to sell. <laughs> I could do that too. So, well, um, you know, you guys again are just—it's just, it's just a, a, such a valuable source of information, and uh, we loved having you on the show. And we really, like I said, wanted to give our uh, listeners a perspective from an actual real estate manager. Uh, versus always hearing from developers um, and other brokers. Yeah. Uh, so thanks again for making the time to come on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. And uh, if if someone does want to get in contact with you guys, we will put your contact information in the show notes if there are any other questions. But thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Thank you both. Thank you for Absolutely. having us. We really enjoyed it. I did for sure. Yeah, this was great fun. Great to see everybody. Um, Bring us some great sites. That's what we want. Hey, listeners. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you feel someone within your network would benefit and learn from this podcast, please feel free to share this or any other episode with them. If you feel you have benefited from this podcast, 
please leave us a review on any platform where you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your support and feedback, and we look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe, stay educated.